If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf, and welcome to Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, a podcast where I share practical, simple, and scientific ways to help you take back control of your mental health, improve your mood and memory, reduce anxiety and worry, and help you live your happiest and healthiest life. Thank you once again for tuning in. If you like my podcast and enjoy today's episode, please consider leaving a five-star review and subscribing. And don't forget to keep sharing on social media and tagging me so I can see what you guys think and what you have found most helpful or interesting. In today's episode, I interview Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist, speaker, and the host of the wildly popular mental health podcast, Therapy for Black Girls. Her work focuses on making mental health topics more relevant and accessible for black women, and she delights in using pop culture to illustrate psychological concepts. She has been featured in O, The Oprah Magazine, Forbes, Bustle, MTV, Huffington Post, Black Enterprise, Refinery29, Teen Vogue, and Essence. In this episode, Dr. Joy and I discuss how to find the right therapist, how to find a therapist if money and location is an issue, why we should all see a therapist, how to deal with racism and discrimination, how to make mental health care more accessible for people of all races and socioeconomic statuses, how to protect your mental health in hostile work environments, the truth about phobias and how to deal with them, how to manage the pain of rejection, why we should be careful when talking about mindfulness and so much more. Joy, I am so excited to have you on the show. It's an incredible honor. You do such important work. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Caroline. Fantastic. Joy, what got you interested in being a therapist? What, you know, what keeps you motivated? How did you get into this? So I have always been really interested in in human behavior. And I had a chance to take a psychology class while I was in high school and became hooked immediately. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So I knew that I wanted to do that as a major in undergrad, but I actually thought that I would do more of the teaching psychology route. So I thought I would be a professor, but I did like one kind of practicum experience with a teacher and decided that that was actually not for me. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. And so, you know, another one of my practicum experiences while in undergrad was working at a United Way and I was able to shadow a therapist, really kind of, you know, look at the work that she was doing and helping clients and really felt like that was a much better fit for me. Oh, I love it. I love it. That's wonderful. I get what you're saying. You know, so done both sides, therapy and teaching. It's a very deep and noble thing to be a therapist. Yeah. And I I did find, so I was also the training director when I worked at the University of Georgia. So I do love teaching in that way. So teaching new therapists, like how to hone their skills. So I find that, you know, there are some topics that I do better with in teaching as opposed to more of the, you know, straight didactic lecture kind of a style. That's not really the best fit for me. That's wonderful. And also I'm sure having your therapy experience makes you a better teacher. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. One helps the other. Well, what of keeps course. you motivated, Joy? What keeps you motivated? Because I know that you're listening all day long to people can be very exhausting. And also you deal with some very heavy topics. So you know, what keeps you motivated? Yeah. So strangely enough, my therapy practice has become a much smaller part of my work than I ever would have imagined. So I really, really love doing therapy. Like I love being in the work with clients, but you know, the work with the podcast and my speaking and with our therapist directory has really expanded and has required more of my time. So now I only really have a very small caseload of clients. And so it keeps me motivated because that's my really only opportunity to kind of stay engaged with therapy every week. So I'm motivated by continuing to be able to do that part of work, which I really love. Oh, that's wonderful. Keeping your hand in. That's amazing. What are some of the major issues 
joy that people come to see you about? So the majority of my work is really centered around helping women recover from breakups. And so it can be a very like recent breakup and people are trying to like figure out what happened and like, how do I put my life back together? And it could also be, you know, some time removed since the breakup, but people are still trying to figure out like, what does my life look like now that this person is no longer there? So a lot of my work is related to relationships, helping women to kind of, you know, resume their identity and figure out what a new identity looks like post-relationship. So that's where a lot of the work I do is focused. That's so important. And, you know, people often are, I know you talk a lot about this on your on your show, but people are often very, almost scared to go to therapy, you know, as though there's a stigma attached to it. But therapy is just, you know, if, if you need to talk to someone, it's incredibly important that you find someone to talk to because, you know, I'm a mind-brain specialist. And as a cognitive neuroscientist, I know that if you don't get the stuff out, it's going to go in your body. And, you know, that, that's going to affect how you function on a physical, mental level. How do we help people overcome this stigma of going to therapy and, you know, getting themselves around the fact that they really does help to share about their life? Hmm. Yeah, that's a really great question. And I think a lot of it. So, you know, just historically, especially for the black community, yeah. there has been a lot of confusion about, you know, what even happens in therapy. Is therapy really a safe space for me to go and talk about my concerns? Am I going to be able to meet with a therapist who is not going to be racist or mm. aggressive to me in some way in the therapy session? Does this conflict with my faith views? You know, so I think that there have been mm. a lot of different things that have kept people from therapy, especially in the Black community. But I also think that as therapists, we haven't always done the best job of like helping people Mm. to understand what even happens in therapy, right? Mm, I mean, because I think so many of us, yeah, so many of us are trained to kind of be this blank slate and that you have to be a neutral party in the therapy room and don't talk about your work. And I really love that I'm seeing a new wave of therapists who are being much bolder in talking about the work that we do in therapy and how it can help people because I think you know, unless you've been to therapy or have someone in your life who's been to therapy, do you really have an understanding of what happens when that therapy door closes? Probably not. Right. Mm. And so I think, you know, it is a, it's incumbent upon us in the field to really make sure that we are helping people to understand what therapy is and how it can be helpful. I love that. I love your answer. And I, and I just wanted to take it a little deeper because you talk about, you know, what we should be more open about what's happening behind doors. So, could you talk about that? Because as you say, we've been trained, I mean, I don't practice anymore, but I was also trained that you, you've got to have empathy, but there's almost like a distance that you keep. I was a slightly different therapist. I worked with a lot of dementias and learning disabilities and traumatic brain injuries and sort of the emotional and physical things around, you know, the mind things around those issues, as well as traumas and so on. I found as well, the approach I used was to be incredibly open with the family, explain to everyone, get get as many people involved as possible, get the support in the home environment as much as possible, the caregivers, and explain exactly what I was doing and why and how they could help. How do you handle that kind of situation? How do you tell people about therapy? Yeah. I mean, so I think I do. That's the whole goal of the podcast, really, is to help people to understand like what kinds of things you might be able to talk with a therapist about. And some of the episodes that are really popular are when I take a figure from pop culture. So like a popular Black woman who's on a TV show and kind of break down her character and like what she might talk about in therapy, because I find that that really helps people to understand like, oh, okay, she struggles with that on that TV show. And if I'm struggling with something similar, I I might be able to talk with a therapist about that kind of thing. And I do understand, of course, you know, as clinicians, we still have to be very careful about confidentiality and we never want to do anything that compromises, you know, the care that we give our Mm -hmm. clients. Mm -hmm. But I do think that there's a way to talk generally about the work that you do and, you know, that allows people to really understand like, okay, I am struggling with this and this might be the person to help me. That's fantastic. That's, I love that answer. And there's a lot of stigma surrounding therapy and, and a lack of awareness of the importance of, of mental health, especially in communities that may, more, that may be more prone to crime or major issues like you've just briefly touched on. Can, can you take that a little deeper? Because as you say, you specifically focus on therapy for black girls. I, I love it. I just think it's, it's great how you've pitched the angle and, and how you explain what happens in therapy. You make something accessible. So, Talk about the stigma around therapy, the lack of awareness of the importance of mental health, and especially in specific communities where there may be more major issues or crime, discrimination, and so on. 
Yeah. So I think, you know, kind of going back to the conversation we had a little earlier, people don't always understand what's happening in therapy. And therapy has not always been a safe place for people. So it's funny because Freeform, Mm -hmm. which is a channel here in the States, came out with this this short film or short like documentary, I guess it's called in the series is called Black People Like and the recent episode was about Black People Like Therapy. And so one of the guests there talked about how she went to see a white therapist and the doll and the therapist had like a little black dog and a little white dog and the therapist did some kind of like recreation of Roots, which is a TV show, you know, several years know, older. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so, I know. I watched yeah. it and read the book. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And so, you know, to to think about, I mean, we know that it often takes people lots and lots of time before they even make that first call to a therapist, right? Like people usually have to work up the courage and find the person and all of those things. So to finally do that and to then go to a therapist and have an experience like that. It's That's incredibly terrible. traumatizing, right? And so you it can therapy make you from the therapist. Exactly, exactly. And so I think in addition to all of the history in terms of people feeling like, oh, does if I need therapy, does that mean I don't have a strong relationship with God or Mm. people feeling like, okay, only quote unquote crazy people go to therapy. In addition to all of those things, I think people have also had some really bad experiences with therapists or have heard family members or other loved ones talk about bad experiences. And so it makes them less likely to go. So I think in addition to working on all of the historical factors and things that impact people of color and their ability to go to therapy, we also have to make sure that we're doing our own work as therapists to make sure that we're not creating aggressive, hostile environments in the therapy space. Mm, And patronizing as well. Yes, absolutely. That we actually tune into the person and really try and understand them. That's very significant. And actually what you said there, you hit a point that I just want to just follow a little bit about how people can literally be traumatized by therapy if it's the wrong kind of therapy. And that goes to the point of, you, you know, if you but finally get the courage to go to therapist and, and it is the wrong therapist. You have every right to change. You are the, you know, you the person seeking help. And it's so important that you may be, if it doesn't work out for you, to find another therapist. And it's not your failure. It doesn't mean that you have failed because people internalize a lot of failure, Joy. I'm sure you've found that a lot. But to keep moving around, can you, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, that's such a great point because I think because therapy is such a unique experience and a unique relationship Mm -hmm. that's unlike the one you have with like your primary care physician or other providers in your life, people don't always know that it's okay to like switch, right? Like people don't understand Mm -hmm. like, oh, because you start with one therapist doesn't mean that you have to stay with them. If you feel like you're not getting your needs met, it's totally okay to switch. And I think a lot of people are also really hesitant because they don't want to keep opening up to new people, right? So I finally made this call and I, you know, shared all Mm -hmm. of this history with this person. Person, and maybe I don't feel like it's working out, but do I really want to start over with someone else, right? So I think mm-hmm. that that's a part of what keeps people maybe not making the decision to try someone else. But I often talk with the members of our community about the fact that it is important to find somebody who's going to be a good fit for you because unlike your primary care doctor, you know, sometimes you go to like a doctor and they don't have the best bedside manner, but you feel exactly. like they're a good doctor. So you stay with them, right? Mm-hmm. But you're, you're, you're usually only seeing like your primary care doctor if you're sick now every I'm now right. and then or whatever. Exactly. So it's it's more tolerable. But with mm-hmm. your therapist, somebody who you're likely going to be some re- doing some really hard work with and really digging in with, it's different. And so you do want to find somebody who you feel like really gets you, who really creates a space for you where you feel comfortable sharing, who you feel you're comfortable kind of if they get something wrong that you can tell them like, hey, I actually don't agree with that. Or, you know, can we revisit this? So you really are building an authentic relationship with this person. And I don't think people always understand how important the relationship is to actually working well with your therapist. Mm, that's, I'm so glad you said that because, you know, as you know, there's been a lot of research on why therapy does and doesn't work. And one of the main reasons why therapy is effective is not because of the techniques, it's because of the relationship. Yes. You know, the whole relational issue between the fact that there's someone that I can sit down with that is not going to judge me and that's going to listen to me and that's noticing you. And, and that's, that's quite, that's so important. It just supports what you've just said. You said something else, Joy, that was also really interesting in your previous answer. And I loved it because it's something that I say when, because I teach around the world as well. And I often say to people, in fact, I say this every time I talk, we're all crazy. 
It's not about someone. <laughs> and you know, that's so true because yeah, I don't know if you're aware, but Yale brought out a study about in 2018 about the fact that there is no normal brain. And I teach a lot about that and I do a lot of neuroscientific research and stuff showing how we have to see each person as a unique human being. So when you said the crazy thing, I thought I love that and wanted to pick up on that because there is such a stigma around, oh gosh, if you've got a therapist, you're either indulging yourself or you're crazy. And that's not true. That's life is tough and we need to help each other. So you want to say anything more about that? Yeah, I mean, and, and you're right. I mean, it really is just about like, what does your stuff look like versus my stuff, right? Like we all have stuff. And so, you know, I think though the, the the common misconception though is that you only go to therapy if it's like a code red kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? So if, if something really, really big is happening, then it might be okay. But for other things, then it's not okay to go to therapy. And like you said, you know, if you have breath in your body, then it's a very good chance you could benefit from talking to a therapist just because like life is hard. You know, there are lots of things going on. You know, if you're paying attention to like just the things that are happening in the world. I feel like there is a collective sense of anxiety for a lot Mm, of people. For sure. Yeah. And so I think it it is really important to be able to have a space where you can go and say these things and people are, are not one trying to like over talk you or trying to bring it and make it about their issues or trying to make you feel like it's silly for you to have those concerns. Therapy is a space where you can go and talk about those things and really kind of process it without feeling judged or being made to feel like it's silly. I love that. I love that. Okay. So on a very practical level, what advice can you share on how to find the perfect therapist and advice on starting therapy? Yeah. So I, again, I think I'm really encouraged by like how therapists are kind of getting outside their boxes and doing marketing, you know, so I spend a Mm. lot of time in like Facebook groups and, you know, just on social media talking with therapists who are trying to build their practices. And so it's very funny how important that is as a business person, but it's not at all anything we're taught in school. Right. So (laughs) you kind of expect like, okay, I go to school, I do these things, I get my skills and then people will just come and see me. But no, there's a whole business business part to marketing yourself as a therapist too. And so I say all of that to say that therapists, you know, have just amazing websites now. A lot of people are very active on social media. And so I think doing your research in terms of kind of looking at therapists in your area and seeing if you can get a good sense of like their personality to see if they're going to be somebody who feels like they could be a good fit for you. And I think it's also pretty easy to kind of find out what kind of expertise therapists have, you know, if they have a website or if they do videos because then they can speak to like these are the kinds of things that I'm really good at in my practice and if you know that's something you're struggling with then that may be somebody that you would want to see. So I I think really doing as much research as you can is important when you're looking for a therapist and most therapists also will do like a free 10 to 15 minute consultation with new potential clients where you can ask any questions and again kind of get a sense and a feel for how this person is to see if it is somebody that you would want to spend some time with. That's fantastic. You know, I think back to the days when I was trading in the 80s and working and sort of practicing in the late 80s, how one of the things that we were trained was you you do not advertise. It was actually illegal to do any form of advertising and how it's changed now so dramatically. You summed it up. How do people know who you are and that they can open up to you if they don't know what you who you what you like because yes. that therapy relationship is one of the most important things so yeah you gave a great answer there and, and it is so much easier in this day and age for sure through social media for people to actually find out more about a therapist and, and the area of specialization before we continue with today's episode i want to tell you about the most useful app on my phone it's called blinkist blinkist takes the best key takeaways the need-to-know information from thousands of non-fiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Blinkist is made for busy people like you who want to get the main points of a book quickly so that you can start using the information right away. And with its audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book while you clean your house, exercise, or my personal favorite, while you go for walks. I love using Blinkist as part of my daily brain-building routine, which is a great way to boost my mental health and mood. Learning new things has been scientifically shown to not only improve cognition, but also reduce anxiety and depression. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed non-fiction books, all the books you want, and all for one low price. Right now, 
For a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash DrLeaf, try it free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash DrLeaf to start your free seven-day trial. And you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash DrLeaf. The link will also be in the show notes. Then it comes to the thing, Joy, what about if someone can't afford a therapist or is not able to access one due to location or time? What advice could you give? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think community or college counseling programs, or so people who are training to be therapists will often have like a community clinic where people in the community may be able to go for free or very low cost. I know when I was in training, we would see clients for like $5 a session. Wow. But of course, you know, we were supervised by licensed therapists. But I think that that can be a way for people to get some help if they need it. And I also think that, again, I am really encouraged that so many therapists are using their skills to do things like webinars and courses for people who maybe can't access therapy or don't have the time or don't feel comfortable yet talking to a therapist, right? So maybe you're struggling with something like self-esteem and you find a therapist who has this whole course and you can do six weeks of classes and reading lists and those kinds of things. So I think looking at for those kinds of resources can be really helpful. And there's also just a ton, I think, of great self-help books that have been written with written by therapists and non-therapists that I think can help you to make some progress depending on what you're struggling with. That's fantastic. And then there's also people that do a lot of therapists doing it online now that you can do it via Zoom technology and so on, which is another way that's a little bit less expensive because it's not yeah. that direct physical. But, but yeah, so you've given a lot of really great advice there. Okay. So let's talk about, you know, use therapy for black girls, be discrimination, racism it's very real and you know I was listening to some of your podcasts the other day and I was listening to just how some people you know it's, it's a reality it's it's unless you in there how how can you deal with that so how does one deal with discrimination and protect your mental health when dealing with racism well you do cover quite a lot of this in, in your podcast and in your therapy yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, and, and we have a very active and engaged community around, mm-hmm. you know, the podcast and like we are always posing questions like our goal is to really kind of stay in constant communication with our community. And so, mm-hmm. you know, issues around racism and discrimination come up quite a lot, especially mm-hmm. in the workplace. So I, you know, lots of black women have shared just how much they're struggling in the workplace with, you know, hostile co-workers or people who are making them feel as though they're not as capable as other co-workers and those kinds of things. And so one of the things I think is most important is for people to not question what's happening, because I think, you know, you can get into this place. And I think a lot of black people kind of fall into this, this idea of like, did that really happen? Like, is that something that's really going on? Am I really being discriminated against? And it can take a lot of energy to try to like pick through whether something is actually accurate or not. And so, you know, when something like that happens every now and then, then maybe, okay, you can kind of brush it off. But my experience and the experiences of lots of our community members is that it's a cumulative kind of a thing. And so Mm. when you're talking about things like this happening, happening on a a consistent basis, it's exhausting, you know? And so Mm. you're you're just trying to make it through life, like with our normal life problems that everybody has, right? And now you've added on top of that, yeah, you've added on top of that racism and discrimination and all of these kinds of things. And you can see how that can impact your mental health. So people become more anxious, maybe become more withdrawn, become angry and rightfully so, you know, so it definitely impacts our mental health. It's a huge thing. And are you, do you find you have to deal with that a lot? Is that, is that, one of, is that a big topic? That, are you helping women talk through this? Oh, absolutely. Not so much in my private practice, but in our community, for sure. And then also Mm -hmm. online, you do quite a bit of this as well, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do live videos every Thursday, which is our opportunity to kind of get together with the Therapy for Black Girls community and kind of me just hear what's going on with them. And there are always lots of questions, especially about like microaggressions in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And what is some sort of advice that you would give with something like microaggressions in the workplace that are Mm -hmm. definitely discriminatory? 
Absolutely. So one of the main things I always tell people is to make sure that you are keeping notes and recording the things that are happening because you never know when a situation is going to escalate. And so if you can have some kind of record of what's been happening, then it could be helpful to you in the future. So that's one of the things I always suggest. And I also I also suggest to people to make sure that they are surrounding themselves with supportive people outside of the workplace, you know, because it can be really easy to kind of just get caught up in everything that's happening at work. But it's important for you to kind of pull back from that when the, you know, workday ends and surround yourself with people who are very affirming to you and who really can kind of get you. Oh, that's so important. That's so important that, you know, the documentation is something that people probably don't even begin to think of but as you say it's cumulative so it might start with just a little thing right eventually if you you document you can start seeing the big picture because i think naturally a lot of a lot of us just don't want to sometimes see that there's something staring us in the face it's you know it's sometimes easier to suppress but eventually that is wearing away at your mental health and your and your physical health so it's so important that you proactive if i'm hearing you say it's important to be proactive in in acknowledging what's going on and documenting and facing and talking and dealing and as you say having the support after hours these are really important things Yeah. And I think the other thing that's important there, Caroline, is to not personalize other people's behavior. So to not think that it must be something that I'm doing wrong as a black woman, because and this is why people are treating me this way. Right. Because we know when we don't have information from the other person, we tend to try to pick ourselves apart to figure out, okay, what am I doing? And most often it's not anything that you are doing. It is really that this person is, you know, has some racist beliefs or, you know, is more aggressive or whatever those things are but it really has nothing to do with you in the way that you show up. So I try to caution women too, not to get into trying to change yourself or or kind of make yourself smaller to kind of make people more comfortable because the truth is that that likely is not going to work either. And then you're the one who's left suffering. Okay, you said something very powerful there. Don't don't make yourself smaller to make the other person feel better about themselves and not to personalize. That's very important. And I think that's, as you say, it seems to be such a natural thing that especially women seem to do this, where something happens and we make these assumptions that immediately it's me. What am I doing wrong? And that personalization, whereas one needs to get it out there and be a bit more practical about it and a bit more logical, almost distance yourself from the situation. Absolutely. How do you advise them to then handle that if that's happening in the workplace and, they, and they've and they identified that they're personalizing? What are some of the tips that you tell them to do? So I think that that is a great opportunity to do some of that work with a therapist. So I, you know, I'm constantly encouraging therapy, but I also encourage people to write it out, you know, so I have mm. them kind of play detective, right? And like, let's look at all the evidence that would support that is actually you. That's the, the problem here. And most people will find that they have very little evidence to support that. But there's lots of evidence to talk about the environment being the one that's toxic, not actually you as the person. Mm. So I think sometimes putting pen to paper and kind of writing out exactly what's happening can help people to kind of get a clearer picture of what is existing in their space. Mm, I love that. I totally agree with that. And you talk about toxic environments. That's such a real thing. I don't think people often realize how much a toxic environment and how those unsaid body movements or looks or whatever can affect how one is functioning. Mm -hmm. Don't you agree? Do you find oh, that that's absolutely. something people don't have an awareness of, that they almost pretend doesn't exist? Because I find a lot yeah. of people don't realize that 50% of communication is nonverbal. And, you know, as people are maybe thinking something, but they're not saying it, but they're still generating that energy. I mean, thoughts are real things. It's something that for 30, 38 years now I've been researching the mind-brain connection and thoughts and thoughts generate energy. They're real. They You build them with your mind. They're in your brain. they physical structures and if it's toxic it's generating toxic energy into an environment so it's very real a toxic environment Absolutely. And I think the thing that concerns me for Black women is that so many times we find ourselves in these environments that I don't know that we always are like as alerted as somebody who is not in those environments, right? Uh, so it's almost the, the kind of thing where it's become, we've become desensitized, right? Because we're used to maybe mm. being in hostile work environments. And so you just know, like, okay, I got to go in and put my armor on because this is what the environment is likely going to be like. And that I think is really sad and concerning. 
You know, that's, that's very difficult because in one of your podcasts, you actually discuss if it's possible to heal in an environment that's hurt you. Can you talk about this? How do yeah. you set the boundaries with someone that's hurt you or, you know, maybe you may not be able to cut the person out or as you say, they've got to go back to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where I think it's really important to do some of that boundary setting. So I think especially in a workplace, you want to do things like making sure that you're taking your lunch break and all of your breaks and actually like physically removing yourself from your workspace. Because I think sometimes we can kind of get into the habit of like, oh, I'll just work through lunch and let me finish this up. But I think especially when an environment is hostile and toxic, it's important to remove yourself away from that as much as possible and to only really do what is absolutely necessary. So, you know, all of the the happy hour kinds of things and, you know, gatherings at people's homes and stuff like that. If the workspace doesn't feel affirming, then I think you want to do as little as possible in terms of like subjecting yourself to things even after the workday that are likely to be a continuation of that toxic environment. No, that's really good. What about mentally protecting yourself within the toxic environment? I think doing as much as you can to make your workspace feel comfortable. So if there are creatures of comfort you want to bring like plants or, or pictures and things that make you feel more comfortable in the workspace, that can be really important. And also trying to find allies for yourself in the workspace. So not necessarily somebody who is going to, you know, kind of raise flags for you, though, if they can do that, then that's great also. But people who you can connect with in the workspace and you don't have to spend time talking about like how toxic it is, right? Because I think when you're Mm -hmm. in it and then you're kind of continuing to talk about it, that only makes it stronger. But Mm -hmm. is there anyone in the workplace that you can connect with that you have like just an authentic connection with that's not at all, you know, about like what's happening in the workspace? I I think that those things are important too. Mm, That's almost like a a sort of relief, a rest, a space where you can actually rest your mind from that that toxic environment. Exactly. Last thing about this is just maybe, do you have any, maybe some mental tips in terms of being in a toxic environment that people could do? So you're sitting there, you're working at three hours till lunch and it's really a bad morning. What could you recommend to that person Mm -hmm. if they're having that kind of a morning? Yeah. So I think if you do any kind of visualization kinds of things and find that helpful, then that could be a really good technique to use. Also, if you are in a workspace where it is okay for you to have like headphones or something, then I find that people who like can like listen to an audio book that they enjoy or a podcast that they enjoy that allows them to kind of get lost in that as opposed to like what's happening can also be a really good thing. Mm, Very, very good. In one of your episodes, you talk about phobias, common misconceptions about phobias and how they're different from everyday fears. Can you talk a little bit about this and give us some advice with some, give it a little bit of advice to someone who may be struggling with a phobia? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, and that was a recent episode that we did. And I learned yeah. a lot from that episode also, you know, but I think the major difference is the idea that, you know, there are always things that like we're afraid of because we're human and, you know, that kind of happens. But when you're talking about phobias, we're really looking at the impact that it has on your life and really rearranging your life and avoiding things so that you don't have to come into contact with the thing that you're afraid of. And so I think with phobias, and with any other kind of anxiety, as you know, Caroline, Mm. the main thing is that you don't want to or you don't want to stay in the place of avoiding the thing that you're afraid of because you never learned that you can deal with it. And so I I think a lot of the work with phobias, again, is working with a therapist to kind of figure out, okay, what small steps can I take towards becoming a little closer to this thing that I'm afraid of? And what skills can I learn to kind of make sure I'm regulating my anxiety, regulating my breathing? and kind of being being able to support myself even as I approach this thing that I'm afraid of. So it's mm-hmm. a combination of learning the skills to kind of take care of yourself and support yourself as you're afraid and also going towards the thing that you're afraid of. So like a two-part process. The one is the work to identify and almost dissect and redesign, reconceptualize. And then the other is how do you cope in that moment so that you don't collapse with a panic attack or it completely blocks you from functioning? Is that right? Is that- what I'm hearing you say. Exactly, exactly. Perfect, fantastic. Okay, so can you talk a little bit, I want to take this question a little deeper, not not the phobias, the questions about environment. I want to just do a little bit more about that. Can you touch on the inequalities that are set up in the world that inevitably make 
life harder for people of color? Just in general, you know, how do these type of environments, I'm going broad enough from just the work environment, but to, I'm going to the general environment. Mm-hmm. And how do these types of environments play into possibly hindering someone's healing from mental health issues? And what can yeah. you do to fix this? You can give us some tips as well. Yeah, I mean, and I think when you think about it, you know, I think people of color are keenly aware like, I think that there is an awareness anytime we are in a space that's like not our home or in the homes of loved ones. We are often keenly aware of like what's going on in ways that I think other people who don't have histories of being discriminated against and in, in instances of racism are not. You know, so just the idea of like being in a store and, you know, like, do you get help from the people who work there versus someone else? Or are you being followed in the store? in ways that other people are not. When you are driving and you see a police officer's flashing lights come on, you know, like what is the mental checklist that you run through in your head versus that of a Black woman? They're probably Mm. different, you know? And so I think that there is just a level of like needing to kind of always be aware of your surroundings that I think can be exhausting, kind of going back to, you know, the conversation we had earlier, like that, that there's mental energy there that you're then not able to have for other things, right? Because you're kind of so preoccupied with like, okay, what's going on in this situation? Am I safe? Am I okay? And I think that other people don't walk in the world in that way. And so when you think about, again, how that impacts mental health, I think that that does lead to some anxiety. I think it leads to this preoccupation that at any moment, like something could happen because we've seen instances of things happening in a, in a moment's notice, right? Exactly. And so I think, exactly. yeah. I think that all of those things really impact our mental health. You know, when we look at the disparities in terms of the health care that we receive, disparities in the amount of money that we make for the same amounts of work, you know, so all of those things impact our mental health or our ability to even get mental health treatment, even if we, you know, decide that we need it. Yeah, so that's where it's a constant low-grade angst that is is kind of following you around. It's just, and, and it's, we, we need to talk about this more. This needs to be out in the open. And that's why it's so important that you're doing what you're doing with these podcasts so that we can be aware. You know, my daughter, two of my children are married to African-American men. And, you know, they were just having a conversation recently about when they have children, how it's going to be different bringing them up. I mean, this is a conversation on my son-in-law actually was having with us saying that it's going to be very different bringing up their children. And, you know, this is, we grew up in South Africa and I, I worked through the apartheid transition and the post-apartheid era, my 25 years of my work was actually done in the areas that were then, you know, they were called township areas. And my husband used to build houses and I would go into the communities and work with with basically mental health and learning and education. And, you know, it's just seeing, living and immersed in that for for so many years, this is very close to my heart. And I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, I feel like in my gut, I immediately feel a reaction because I've seen it. I've lived in mm-hmm. in the midst of this too. And it's a constant ongoing worry. That's a creates low-grade inflammation in your brain and your body. And, you know, we there, there's a lot we need to do to be supporting each other through situations like this. So awareness is a massive part of this, isn't it? Yes, it is. And I think, you know, I, again, I'm often having conversations with therapists who are not like therapists of color because there's this hesitation about like bringing racism into the room as if if you talk about it, that that makes it exist. But I think we do clients a disservice when we don't acknowledge how race is likely impacting them. Right. So you're you're doing your you're doing your clients a disservice if you don't ask, I think, as a part of the intake, whether there are any racial kinds of things going on in a person's life because it's, it, if, if there isn't, then it's just information like, okay, you don't have to worry about it. But I think you asking about it as a therapist gives space for it to be talked about in the therapy room. You know, so I think that therapists have a huge part to play in making sure, again, like we talked about, making sure that they're creating environments where people feel like all of them can show up. I love that. That's vitally important. And it's, it's, it's you know, if you can't suppress something, you have to be very, very aware you know, if you don't name it, it doesn't just disappear. You have to name what's there so that you can you can work through it. I mean, it's the yes. same thing with discrimination in the workplace with women, a woman scientist. You've experienced this yourself. You know, you when my husband and I go to conferences, they'll go up to my husband and they'll say, "Hi, Doctor Leaf." You right. know, I'm the doctor. You know, so, yeah, so you, 
<laughs> living with it as a woman and even more as a black woman and it's you know it's, right. it's it's very real so i'm all about bringing it into the open as well we have to bring the painful stuff that we don't want to talk about and the impact and we have to bring these things about life out into the open and talk about it so i love the way that you're handling in the way that you're handling that and the fact that you're guiding other therapists to how to handle racism and how to handle this as a reality for for in, on an everyday basis mm-hmm. so good I am a big supporter of therapy and believe everyone should see someone. But I get it. Therapy can be expensive and often inaccessible. That's why I love BetterHelp and cannot recommend it enough. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and the service is available for clients worldwide. It's more affordable than traditional offline counselling, and financial aid is available. Visit trybetterhelp.com forward slash drleaf. That's Try better H-E-L-P and join the over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. And just for my listeners, get 10% off your first month at trybetterhelp.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. The link will be in the show notes. You talk a lot about rejection as well. Can, can you talk a little bit about rejection and can you give a few tips about rejection? Yeah. So, I mean, I think nobody wants to sign up for rejection, right? Like that Mm -hmm. often doesn't feel good. And I think it's really important to just be aware of, again, how you can take care of yourself when there is a rejection, because there there will always be rejections in our life, right? Like there always be things that we really want that we don't get and, you know, opportunities we sign up for and we're not selected. But I think the, the hard part is when you get so afraid of the rejection that you don't even allow yourself to go for the opportunity. So you, you know, select yourself out. Out before you even have the opportunity to be told no. So I I think it's really important to still go after those opportunities, but know that you really won't fall apart if the answer is no. So it's okay to be excited and, you know, to kind of really hope that this thing works out, but to also trust that even if this thing doesn't happen, that is not the end of the line, right? So there mm. is often not only one path to anything in our lives. And so it may look like, okay, if I get this grant, then that'll open all of the doors that I need and it'll be, you know, super successful. But this grant could be one way to success, but there are likely other ways. So I think it's important for people to kind of keep their options open and not to put so much energy on any one opportunity that they feel like if that thing doesn't happen, then, you know, there are no other paths. Mm, I love that. Because people, as you say, will stop doing something just because they're scared of rejection. So I love your your tip, just do it anyway. Yeah, do it afraid. Yeah, do it afraid. I love that. Do it afraid. And <laughs> if it doesn't work, do another one afraid until something. So we've almost got to get an immune system, like mental immune system to rejection developed. Excellent. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, and I think, you know, we know about like just in childhood development, how important it is exactly. to let our kids fail, right? Like, because you, mm-hmm. it is a muscle that you have to develop just like anything else, that it's okay that you don't, you're not first place at everything. Like life still goes on. Exactly. Life still goes on and that it's going to be, yeah, I think, so I think with this whole, I don't know if you feel this, but this is an opinion that I have and I would, I'd love your opinion too. But with the happiness movement, that's happiness industry that we live in. It's like, we've got to be happy all the time, but that's just a false, you know, that will lead to a lot of rejection because mm. you can't be happy all the time because things do happen and it's all part of character development. Absolutely. And I think the other part that is often missed with this happiness, like it's a very privileged place, right? Like, because it's Mm. easy for you to be happy when you're not like worrying about like being shot by a police officer, right? So, you know, I mean, so I think that some of that kind of does not account for the very real concerns that people have that might make it difficult for them to be happy. Oh, that's, oh, I totally agree with you. That's, that's, it's such a relevant thing. And you know, you brought up something else a couple of times and I, and I love it and I want to jump in on it. As a scientist, you caught my attention with the word energy. And I often tell people that, you know, you've got limited energy in a day, which is true. Physically, your brain can only handle X and your body can only handle X. And you've got to decide how you're going to use that energy. And don't you think, Joy, that so many people wake up in the morning and already their energy is drained because they're worried about the racism, this, 
the, they're going to work, the things that they're facing in the day. And so by the time they actually get out of their house and they and they're on their way to work, they're already, you know, the battery's already half flat. And then you have some people that are really draining you and you lose some more energy and by lunchtime you're done. And then the afternoon you're running on this reserve and, and by the time you get home in the evening, it's affecting your sleep and you get people get into these toxic cycles, you know, and, and can you talk a little bit about energy and I don't know if you see it like this, because I kind of, you some of your answers sort of hinted in that direction. Yeah, that is such a beautiful illustration, Caroline. Like just the idea, you know, I've already talked about like how we often feel like we have to put on this armor to just go into the workplace. Exactly. So you're very right, right? Like if I have to do all of this work and kind of get my mind right to just go to the workplace to deal with people who are going to be negative and hostile, then yeah, my battery is already at 50%, right? And so then I have to just go through the workday and deal with maybe difficult clients or difficult customers or whatever. And so then by the time you are home, then what do you have left either for yourself or your loved ones? You know, so then you're looking at the impact it has on your relationships. And do, you know, do you feel like you have good quality time to be able to spend with your kids because now you're already drained, right? Are you taking Mm -hmm. care of yourself in in terms of physical activity if you feel like already I'm depleted from the day? So I I think it is a cyclical kind of an effect, right? Like that you get so drained by these racist and discriminatory kind of things that then you don't have the energy that you need to take care of yourself and to kind of really be present in your relationships. That's that's so true. Can you give some tips? How do you how would you advise someone who's in that cycle? So I often talk about, and we talk about this a lot in the community, about the importance of actually embracing joy. And, Mm. you know, because I think when you are struggling, when you're struggling with like environments like this, it can make it feel really hard to really pay attention to anything that feels like joyful or happy in your life. Or you feel like you feel guilty because like, oh, look how our community is struggling. And so it feels bad for me to even feel joyful in this moment. But Mm. I think that that is really important, right? Because staying connected to joy, staying connected to things that make you happy are what allows you to recharge that battery so that you can kind of get up and go the next day. You know, so I think, again, it's a two-pronged approach in that, you know, we want to be doing the work that we need to do to try to bring down these racist and discriminatory practices Mm -hmm. in our community. Mm -hmm. But we also have to be doing the work of taking care of ourselves so that we can continue to do the work. And a part of that work, I think, is staying connected to joy and making sure that we are also having fun and that we don't feel guilty about like having light moments and everything doesn't have to be super serious. Like there are multitudes to us as people. And so it's okay to embrace all of those different pieces. I love that. I love that. It's almost like, you know, you plug your back, your, you plug your <laughs> cell phone into charge. Right. We, need, we need to plug our brains in and, and, and the energy yes. is joy. And you know, Dr. Joy, joy is actually a very, very good change. It, it does the most amazing things in the brain. I mean, one of the things that joy does, and, and I'm sure that you, so joy as in joy and Dr. Joy, one of the things that joy does is that it actually releases a, a hormone called anandamide, which is called the bliss hormone. And when the bliss hormone starts to flow, it then activates the other hormones to flow like serotonin and dopamine, all the ones that everyone's heard of. But they, And then also the endocannabinoids start being activated. So pain, you get pain relief and you set the cycle up in your brain, which then activates a whole flow of energy in your brain that enables you to think with more clarity. So, I mean, there's just a little bit of science behind your incredibly important tip of plugging into joy. I just absolutely love that. So you weren't called Dr. Joy for nothing. I love that. <laughs> I, I once got asked by someone, did you do, did I, ch- did I change my name to leaf? Because I always teach about thoughts looking like trees and that you must, you know, you're growing leaves on your trees and it's healthy thoughts. And someone asked me if I actually changed my name to be Dr. Leaf. So <laughs> I feel like asking you, did you make your name Dr. Joy for a reason? <laughs> no, no, that was all my parents. Oh, it's very, very appropriate. Very appropriate. Oh, I love that answer. That's so wonderful. Joy, are, you, are there any wellness trends that you're a little bit concerned about in this current day and age? What are you excited about? What are you concerned about in terms of wellness trends? Mm, I am very excited about the the openness with which I see Black women talking about therapy. So I mm. love, I spend a lot of time on Twitter. So I love when like, people will like come back from their therapy session and share like something that they found helpful and they want to share with other people. Like, I just think that that does so much to break down Mm -hmm. on the stigma. So I love that. I love that people are being much more open and talking about therapy because again, I think it helps people to understand like what, how therapy could be helpful to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In terms of 
concerns. Ooh. So I think I think that social media has done a great job in that like therapists are able to like share like great information and you know that information that used to just be in the therapy office now we can share with a wider audience. But I am concerned with with some people who are not therapists and who don't understand how you can open up things. And then people don't know what to do with it, I right? Love what you just said. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so true. Yeah, so I mean, so you know, and I'm very careful with our audience and try to do as well as I can to make sure that we're like having good conversations, but that I'm also not leaving people like with all this feeling and then they don't know what to do with it, right? Mm-hmm. Because then we know about containing and you know how important that is. And so I see, I think some people in an effort to you know keep these conversations going and those kinds of things will sometimes I think take their audiences to places that just feel way too vast and a little dangerous to me. And I think it's because I'm trained as a therapist. And so I know about containment and I know about that kind of thing. Whereas people who have not had that training don't always know to kind of be on the lookout for that. So I think that's one of the things I'm most concerned about. I am so glad you raised that point. It's it's, it's such a critical point. And thank you for raising it because it's vital. You see this with, with meditation as well. People are, it's great. But people get in the moment and things come up and then they don't know what to do with them. And I don't know if you've seen the research on that, but there's a lot of research showing the boomerang effects of things like meditation is so important, but it can bring things up. If you don't have some sort of containment process in place, it can go all over the place and can can take you to places that you don't actually want to go to. So I'm very, very pleased that you've raised that and raised the fact that, yeah, there's people that are jumping on the bandwagon and, and really taking people to places on social media and in that space without actually having the, you know, opening, opening things without containing. I'm so glad you raised that, Joy. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Anything more you want to say? Any more pearls of wisdom that you'd like to give us? No, this has been such a great conversation, Caroline. I feel oh. like we talked about so many things. I know. I loved it. And I hope you'll come back on again onto the show because it's really been super interesting and, and very, very important topics that we could probably dive into a lot deeper. Oh, I'm sure. You're wonderful. Well, where can people find out more about you and your podcast and your work? Yeah, so you can find everything about Therapy for Black Girls at therapyforblackgirls.com. So we have a therapist directory there where people who are looking to work with Black women therapists can find therapists in their area. The podcast is released every Wednesday, so there's a new episode every Wednesday morning. And we also have lots of blog posts on the website about just different kinds of topics related to mental health. So I'd invite people to check it out there. And if you want to connect with me directly, all of my social media handles across the board are at Hello, Dr. Joy. Oh, that's fantastic. And we'll obviously put everything in the show notes as well. Joy, it's been a joy talking to you and I've really loved it. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thank you so much, Caroline. I appreciate it. Thank you. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.